Well, we're hearing some great stories in the course of our study on comebacks. And when we began a couple weeks ago, we began with a message I just entitled, Get Real. If you need a comeback in life, you've got to get real. We looked at the life of Habakkuk, and he was a guy that could look all around the world and say, you know, we've got a lot of problems here and there, and everybody's messed up. And he could have complained about a lot of things, but before anything good could begin in his life, he had to get real and be honest with God and say, God, I know I'm living in a messed up world, but would you start a work inside of me? He was just being profoundly honest with the Lord. And then we studied that help is not on the way on the life of Moses. And sometimes in life, we're waiting around for somebody to come and bail us out of a situation, to come and to save the day. And, and Moses had to come to terms with the reality that help wasn't on the way. And the reason help was not on the way is because it was already there. God is the ever-present help in times of trouble. And so we're learning some of these great lessons. If you have your Bibles today, I'd like to invite you to join me in turning to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 16. Today we're going to continue in this theme of comebacks. Mark chapter 16. Uh, growing up, I, I, was, uh, I played basketball a lot. I was just going to say I wasn't very good at it. I don't know if I was good or bad. I went to a very small school, and it just so happened that everyone else in my school was worse than I was. So that gave me the illusion for a while that maybe I was pretty awesome. I think I probably was not. You know, there, there are different leagues, and we were in a small league, and within the small leagues, we were one of the smaller schools. And, and being in that small school, not a lot of, uh, lot of talent to pull from. And so I was, I was that big fish in an exceedingly small pond. And so for a brief moment there, I felt like a rock star in life, you know, and then reality hit, of course. But, but uh, I used to enjoy playing basketball, and, and being a, a small school, it, even even though we were in a smaller league, it, it, it put us in a position many times where we needed to come back as a team. And sometimes I would get frustrated in the game. Maybe I'd get frustrated with how I was playing, or sometimes I would get frustrated with how my teammates were playing. And, and uh, there were games where maybe I'd be discouraged at how it was going, and I would just try to take over the game. Just try and take over the game. I try to do everything. The problem is in basketball, uh, you can do a lot, you cannot do everything. It's a team sport. And you kind of need your teammates to be cooperating, and you need to cooperate with them. And, and I found that when I was frustrated in the midst of a game, and I responded by, in a sense, putting distance between me and my teammates, that that never really helped anything. It only made, made problems worse. But there were those other games where I had a sense I need to only do what only I can do. And I allowed my teammates to do what only they could do, and we'd work together. And when we worked together, we found that we could enjoy a comeback from time to time. Now, it didn't work out every time in our case, but a lot of times it, it did. We'd all find our roles, we'd do our job, and, and collectively we would see that a comeback could be won. And one of the great lessons in life pertaining to comebacks is the fact that a team is required. It requires a team. I want you to know today that life is a team sport the Bible tells us that none of us are an island unto ourselves. We're all to be connected. In fact, the church has been described in the Bible as a body. We're to function together, working with one another. How many of you played sports at all growing up? Any of you? Good, good. A lot of you. I'm sure most of you have heard at some point in the course of your scholastic sports career, a coach make the statement that there is no I in team. No I in team. And what they're trying to talk about is the fact that if you're on a team, it's not all about you. It's not all about one person. You're to work together, cooperate. There's no I in team. And, and the emphasis is the reality that a team functions best when it's working together. But I've seen many times over the years when a discouraged player on a team in need of a comeback 
in the midst of this discouragement, withdrew. And they made matters worse. Going through a hard time and in effect got upset with their team. The very team they would need to make a comeback. I've seen husbands and wives discouraged with their spouse who rather than drawing closer so that a comeback could take place, they've, they've put distance there. I've seen children grow impatient and weary of their parents and, and actually this relationship that is necessary, they've, they've distanced themselves from their parents. And this, this is surprising maybe, but I've seen parents even do that with their children, get frustrated with their children, impatient with their children, and just kind of take on a mindset that says, forget it, I'm not going to bother anymore, let them go their own way, and, and they've removed themselves. This has been seen on job sites, in friendships, in our spiritual lives. We all have it in us when we need to come back in life to kind of feel like, uh, you know, we've been treated wrong or we've been disappointed by how others have behaved and so we think we'll just go it alone. And I want you to know that's no way to do life. God did not intend for any of us to go through life just as a maverick, the Lone Ranger, doing it on our own. Life is a team sport. You see, all the way back in the beginning, God created Adam and, and He said of Adam, it, it's good. But, but as the Bible went on in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, the Bible said this, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. And I love the way God just looked at that situation. He saw Adam all alone and God said, Adam, you're very good, but this situation here, not good. And I think today God could say to us, if, if we're the husband and wife who put distance between ourselves when closeness is needed, I, I think God could look at our situation and we could say, God, what do you think? We're, we're here, we're putting a little distance here, we're disappointed, we're discouraged, we're in need of a comeback, but, but, but we're frustrated. And, and I think God would look at that situation and he'd say, not good. I think parents backing away from their children or children from their parents, God could look at that and say not good. I think there are work environments that you can think of where maybe what's needed is the reconciliation of sorts and, and yet you're, you're distancing yourself. Not good. And, and in our spiritual lives, sometimes we go through rainy times in life, so to speak, and we distance ourselves from God. And I think the Lord would say not good. It's not good that we seek to go through life only relying on ourselves. The Bible teaches us in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, that two are better than one. Well, why is that? Well, because they have a good reward for their labor. In other words, there's power and synergy. Uh, I've got a capacity in life, and you've got a capacity in life, but there are occasions where if you're functioning as a team, you bring two people together that have a capacity, and you'll more than double the output uh, of the two working together. You can get more done. And the Bible says, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. The Bible says it's better to go through life on a team. If you have a need, you're there. Uh, if, if someone else has a need, you're there. You can encourage one another. It is true there's no I in team, but I'm afraid that at times in the course of life, we become so withdrawn that we take ourselves off of the team. And the personal pronoun I, referring to us, is removed. And what we need to do to get our comeback underway is to come back to the team uh, to make a determination to re-engage we need to put the eye back in into the team we have an example uh, in in the life that we're going to be studying today of, of a man that needed to come back he was one of the closest followers to jesus christ a man by the name of peter uh, he was an interesting man in many ways he had some great strengths but as is so often the case 
The flip side of his strengths revealed some great weaknesses. He knew what it was to have times when he needed to come back in the worst way. And, and there are a lot of great lessons from his life. And, and if you're able to join me in standing this morning, I'd invite you to do so as we look to Mark chapter 16. I'm going to be in a lot of verses today. We really are going to kind of do an overview of, of Peter's life. And so we're going to get started here. But there's a great thought in, in this passage. And I want you to follow along with me, if you would, as I read Mark chapter 16, and verse 1. The Bible says this. And when the Sabbath was passed, again, I'll read on. But the Sabbath referred to uh, the Old Testament pattern of worship. It was Saturday. And we know that when Jesus rose again from the dead, people of faith in Jesus Christ began worshiping on Sunday. And so this is saying, you know, when Saturday was done, but really the point of that is the Sabbath, it was over at that point. It, it was done. It had been fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for a Savior who took care of everything? And there's a great truth. The Sabbath, it was done. Now Sunday is the day and, and Jesus is the person. And so that was a testimony, not just to a day of the week, but to the work of Jesus so the Sabbath was passed. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun, and they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? When they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he said unto them, Be not affrighted, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified, he is risen. He is not here, behold the place where they laid him. In verse 7, I want you to notice, the angel says this, But go your way and tell his disciples and Peter. Now Peter would have been included in the disciples. There was a redundancy here. There was an emphasis. There was a point being made. Go tell the disciples, oh, and Peter, that he, Jesus, goeth before you into Galilee. There ye shall see him, as he said unto you. In the midst of verse 7, there's just these words that to me really embodies the essence of what we we're going to be talking about today. There shall you see him. And there was a place, a place where the, the life of Peter could be changed as he came back to fellowship with with Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to work together in this message today, and so let's have, have a prayer and ask God to help us. Lord, thank you for this morning, for the privilege we have of opening your word and studying. Bless this time. May we uh, get real, understand that help is not on the way, that it's already here, and may we today see the value of, of putting ourselves uh, on the team. And Lord, if a comeback is needed in that part of life today, I pray that you'd help us to see that. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Throughout the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, he made it his habit to call people not only to faith, but to call his disciples to himself. He would often make statements, much like we find in Mark chapter 8 and verse 34, when Jesus said this. He said, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus there was not teaching a works salvation. We're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. And, and we know that it's not of works, lest any man should boast, the Bible tells us. But Jesus there was establishing that although we are saved by faith, not by works, that if we want to live a life of meaning in the sense of being a disciple or a follower of Jesus, there are some things that we need to do. 
And so Jesus would say often things like this. He would say, you've got to come after me and deny yourself and and take up your cross and and follow me. No one would have heard this any more than the closest followers of Jesus, the apostles. Yet when the occasion of the crucifixion of Jesus came, we find that they did not come after him and deny themselves and take up his cross and follow. Instead, they denied Jesus and they forsook the cross and they followed self-interest. I'm saying that after three and a half years, the entire earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, the 12 closest followers in his life, when given an opportunity to stand for him, not one of them did. Not one of them. They ran away. They fled. Each of his followers, in retrospect, was saddened by their behavior. But there was one whose grief really stood above the others, and frankly, it's because he blew it in a more grandiose fashion than any of the others did. It was Peter. When Jesus had foretold Peter of the crucifixion, we know that they got into a conversation. In Mark chapter 14 and verse 29, Peter said to Jesus this. He said, although all shall be offended, yet will not I. What was Peter saying? Jesus, let me help you out. I'm just a little bit better than these other disciples. I'm a little bit stronger. Uh, I've got a little bit more grit in my proverbial craw. I've got the ability to go through tough times. Jesus, let me tell you this. You don't worry about me. Uh, I'm just a little bit better than the others. And Peter was saying, Lord, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. The conversation continued and went on in verse 30. Jesus said to Peter this, Verily, truly, Peter, listen up. I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me. Peter said, I'm not going to deny you. Jesus said, Peter, let me help you. You will deny me. And he was emphasizing the fact that Peter needed to understand there were weaknesses in his life. The conversation goes on in verse 31. The Bible tells us that in verse 31, he spake the more vehemently. The Bible's telling us here now that Peter, he doesn't just think in this moment that he's a little better than the rest of of the disciples, a little more knowledgeable than the rest of the team. At this moment in his life, he actually thinks he's a little bit smarter than Jesus Christ. He's arguing with God the Son vehemently. He's intense. And he says, Jesus, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. He's saying, I will stand by you till the bitter end if I have to die in so doing. That's what I will do. And if you're familiar with the story of Peter, you know that Jesus' words, as they always do, rang true. Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me. And that's what happened. In Luke's Gospel, we read in Chapter 22 and verse 61, that the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And the Bible tells us that Peter went out and wept bitterly. At that moment, Jesus was in the midst of his trial. He was in the home of the high priest, a man by the name of Caiaphas. And Peter is being close enough to see what's happening, but he's doing all he can to deny he's a real follower of Jesus Christ. He's cursing. He's denying. And the Bible tells us that the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And and I I want us to really see this moment. Here's Jesus in the midst of this trial. His death is, is, is coming ever closer. Here's Peter out here standing around a fire, warming his hands, so to speak, with the enemies of Jesus Christ. He's cursing. And, and at that moment, he looks. And as Jesus is making his way, whether it's through a window or what it is, they, they catch eyes. At that moment, their eyes connect. And that convicting glance of Jesus Christ just goes to Peter's heart and he's thinking man I've just done what I said I would never do I basically told Jesus he was wrong and 
he was right. And the Bible doesn't just tell us that Peter felt bad or that he shed a tear. The Bible tells us that he wept bitterly. And I don't know that any of us would cry all that often, but I think all of us, if we're honest, would say we've had moments in time in our life where we've been so disappointed by what's happened. Maybe we've disappointed ourselves or someone else has disappointed us, but we've been brought to the point where we didn't just feel bad, we didn't just shed a tear, but, but we wept bitterly. Our hearts were absolutely broken, and I would wonder, maybe you and your life have played so poorly in the game of life that the scoreboard told you in no uncertain terms you're out of it. We thought for that moment, you know, this marriage, it's helpless. And, and the financial picture, it seems hopeless. And the hurt was so deep. The grief was so wide. And, and if you know at all what I'm talking about, that's where Peter was. He was a man in need of a comeback, but he'd essentially taken himself off of the team. He said, I'm going to take I off of the team. And he needed to put I back into the team. That was a low point for Peter's life, wouldn't you say? Now let's fast forward 50 days. 50 days from that low point, Peter's not crying anymore. 50 days removed from that low point, we know that he isn't defeated. We know that he isn't hiding. He isn't denying. He, he, he is rather standing and he's boldly proclaiming that Jesus Christ is God the Son to the glory of the Father. He's preaching the truth of the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, 50 days after that low point in his life, he's preaching the inaugural service in the church. The Holy Spirit's power had come and he's preaching the gospel message. And the Bible tells us that at the end of his preaching, when he gave an invitation I don't know if they did it exactly the way we do or not but he would preach and then give people an opportunity to respond the Bible tells us on that day that 3,000 people accepted Jesus as their Savior and then in the Bible when people got saved boom they always got baptized right away and so on that one Sunday Peter's preaching 3,000 people get saved 3,000 people follow the Lord and believers baptism that would have been maybe the high point in Peter's life Think of it. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Now, gladly received, the Bible says, there were those that heard the gospel message that Peter preached and they received it. They were saved, not by baptism, but through faith in, in the message that Peter preached. And after they received it, then they were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So somewhere between the crucifixion and that Sunday called Pentecost Sunday, Peter had a comeback. Somewhere between that moment when a, when a chicken preached conviction into Peter's heart, right? And, and that moment where he preached the gospel message, something happened in his life that allowed him to go from the lowest point to perhaps the greatest point. And I want to know what happened. And I hope you do, do, you do too. And if you have your notes nearby, let's get them out. We're going to study together. What is it that Peter went through that allowed him to have a comeback? I, I want us to see the first thought this morning. God reminded him the value of the team. In our text verse, we, we read where the angels speaking to the ladies at the empty tomb, and, and they were emphatic. They, they said to them, they said, Go your way and tell his disciples and Peter. Don't leave out Peter. He needs to hear this. He's discouraged, he's down, he's struggling. Make sure that Peter knows what's going on right now. And so they were to get the word of the resurrection to all of Christ's followers, but an emphasis on Peter and, and why the emphasis. Let me share with you why the emphasis is there. It is clear to me that in Peter's heart and in his life, he wasn't sure if he still even had a place on the team. 
He wasn't sure exactly where he stood. The angels sometimes say things and we wonder why they were said. And it's always because they're addressing an issue in someone's life. For example, angels most often when they speak with someone, the first thing they'll say in the Bible is fear not or be not afraid. You say, well, what did they say that for? Obviously, the person they're talking to is dealing with fear. And so when the Bible here gives the emphasis of make sure you get to Peter, make sure you share this news with him, they're saying Peter's going through a tough time here. And Peter didn't know that a comeback was possible. And I found that when we are down in life, we often get so discouraged that we look at, at ourselves and we come to the conclusion, you know, I'm not sure I'm ever going to be able to pull out of this. I'm not sure that a comeback is possible here. We think negatively about ourselves, and in so doing, we limit our options. And when we, when we think that way, we're agreeing with the devil. When we look at our life and see limits, when we look at our life and see uh, a, a comeback is not an option, we're agreeing with the devil. Because in Revelation 12 and verse 10, the Bible tells us that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And that means when we're down, what he wants to do is pile on us. What the devil wants to do is define us by the score when we're at our low point. He wants to tell us, hey, look at the scoreboard. You see how far you're trailing? That's who you are. And so the Bible tells us that the devil piles on in that way, but there's more to that story. When we face our accuser, the devil, and that's what he is, he's an accuser. He, he wants to tell you who you're not and what you can't do. But in that moment, we have someone there to defend us. The Bible tells us of him in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, by the way, don't you love that? The Bible says, look, don't sin, don't sin. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So we have an advocate. Now we have an accuser, don't we? The devil, and sometimes we help him in his job. But we have an advocate, Jesus Christ. And so the devil is given access to, to God, and, and yet we find through the advocacy of Christ, we don't have to be defined forever by, by the score of the moment the devil would walk in, and when we're down, he wants us totally out, and, and the devil could say, you know, this guy, let me tell you about this guy, Jesus, he's an absolute loser, he's a loser, and Jesus would say, that's not true, through me, he's a conqueror, in fact, he's more than a conqueror, the devil could say, no, I, I want you to understand he's a sinner. He has a sin debt. Jesus could say, no, I paid the price for that sin debt on the cross. There, there's no sin debt. I, I think the devil could say he's down and the clock is running. And Jesus Christ could say, I specialize in, in comeback wins. And so we have an accuser and we have an advocate. And through the advocacy of Jesus Christ, we can, we can grow to the point that a comeback can take place in our lives. What a joy to think that God doesn't write us off when we're down. The need for a comeback in your life maybe from something wrong that, that you've done. It might be the result of some unforeseen circumstance with which you had nothing to do. But whatever the case, we have a Savior in Jesus Christ who calls us to himself. To Peter, he said, he, he said Peter, I, I want to meet with you in Galilee. Make sure Peter gets this news. And, and when we're down, we might feel uh, as unlovable as we could possibly be in the presence of God, but we have an advocate in Jesus Christ. And by, by nature of the definition of the word grace, the more you need it, the more it is applied. And, and he can pull us. God reminded Peter here of the value uh, of the team. But I want us to see as we continue on here that God gave him, Peter, he gave him direction for his life. Direction for his life. You know, a lot of times when we're down, we're just not sure what to do. We can be aware, hey, I've got a need for a comeback. We're going to get real. But we're just not sure 
what to do. And, and the verse we read together as we began, the angel told Peter to, uh, uh, that, that, that Jesus wanted to be with him. The message was given to him. The group would meet up in Galilee. And so we can wonder what is it that was said in Galilee. The invitation was there. Peter, however, had to respond. Now, when he finally got there, he did hear from Jesus. And, and I want us to see what it is he heard from Jesus. The Bible in Acts chapter 1 and verse 7, this is the meeting Peter was called to now. The Bible says, And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And so the angel tells the ladies, you go tell the disciples. And Peter, don't forget Peter, that I've, I've got a message that's going to be delivered to them in Galilee. Jesus comes and he tells his followers, Peter included, you shall be witnesses. You're going to testify on my behalf. You're going to tell others how they can become Christians. That, that was a job for them. That's a job for all of us. That's something God wants every believer to do, to tell others about Him. Now, maybe you're thinking today, Pastor, I, I understand what you're saying, but my issue is, is just a little bit different at the moment. And, and I would say this to you, friend. Do what you know to be right. Don't get stuck in a position in life where you don't make one move at all until you see how it's all going to turn out. So you know exactly what the end is going to look like. Do today what you know to be right. When those words came to Peter, he was still in the valley. When those words came to Peter, he was still wondering, am I even on the team anymore? Do I get another chance? Am I going to have an opportunity to do anything with my life? When those words came, he could have had all kinds of reasons why he wouldn't have responded to them. But Peter made the decision to respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ and then to respond to the direction of Jesus Christ at least as far as it would take him in his life. Do what you know to be right and God will give you direction for other areas in your life. And, and I would say even we need to do what we know to be right in terms of the Great Commission. To be a witness for Jesus Christ. I'm saying that the course that leads to a comeback, it's all found in the Bible. And God directs us as we follow Him by faith. One great verse that deals with this is in Proverbs 3 and verse 6. And the Bible says this, In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. And I want you to look here for a moment. I think often most Christians live this way. When God gives me the direction and I see how it's going to turn out and, and, and all the doubts are pushed out of my mind, it's going to be easy going. When the direction comes, then I'll acknowledge God. Then I'll recognize His presence in my life. And God says, I don't work that way. That's not how I function. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you what step is next. And when you take that one, I'll tell you when the next one coming. And, and, and from time to time, he'll give us a glimpse a little bit further down the road. But most of the Christian life has lived one step after another. And Peter had to come to the place in his life where he would say, God, I don't know how it's all going to work out, but today you've told me to be your witness. I'm going to be your witness. And God gave him the step after step after step type of leadership he needed. Do you know what Jesus told Peter in essence? Peter, just follow me. That's all I've ever asked you to do, Peter. Just follow me. It's not about you, Peter. Follow me. And the Christian life is really a life of following God. And when we need to come back, there's nothing greater we can do than to make the decision, Lord, I'm going to do everything you've revealed to me in your word to do. If it's in there, I'm going to obey it. And God, there's some other areas, nuances in my life where I'm not always sure what to do. And, and God, as I'm acknowledging you by being obedient to what I know, would you help me in these other areas in which I have questions? So God gave him direction for his life, but 
Then I want us to see this thought as the story continues. I want us to see finally today that Peter had to take some time to reconnect. He had to take some time. It wasn't uh, instantaneous. After hearing from Jesus in Acts chapter 1 where we read a moment ago, later in that chapter, I believe you have the verses in your notes, but in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, the Bible continues. And now Jesus has ascended to heaven and, and they're just left now. And here, here they are. And the Bible says, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotus and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and with his brethren. Peter here again is listed with the other followers. He's back on the team. He responded to the call of Christ. And, and he's now on a list of, of, of fellow teammates. There he is. And, and the Bible tells us that he took some time to continue with them. The Bible tells us they prayed together. They asked God for help. They asked God for wisdom. Of, of course, the, the very next verse shows Peter involved once again. If we were to keep reading in the book of Acts, we would find that Peter again is involved in a leadership role. And, and then we, we would see a few verses after that that he's preaching on Pentecost Sunday. But he needed something for his comeback to take place in life. He, he needed some time. He needed to just continue with, with the followers of Jesus in the upper room. He just needed to take some time to reconnect, to get close with, with the teammates that God had put in his life. Now, is this of God? It's all of God. But, you know, Peter had to show up and he had to pray up and he had to stay up. And when he did, he found that he came back from a loss with the biggest win in his life. And that's his story. But as I look at this, I, I think that it means for all of us that we have a God who can do anything. We have a God that loves us and a God that calls us to himself. We have a God that's not absolutely shocked and beside himself when, when we've denied him three times. He, he sees that all before it even happens. We have a God that enjoys working in our lives in terms of comebacks. He places people in our lives through the local church and other places that can minister to us when we're down. We have a team and they need us and we need them. I think this story can be personal to each of us, but often when we're down, we withdraw. I hear it often. Pastor, you haven't seen me lately. Yeah, I noticed that. Well, I've just been discouraged. I've been down, been going through some struggles. Why is it that when we need our team the most, we're often removing ourselves the furthest? Pastor, you probably noticed I just haven't been around as much. I'm, I'm going through some things. And friends, I'm going to say this. We're all going to go through things in life. And there's no better place to be when we're going through things than with the team that God has given us. Think of that. I think of our church family. I'm thankful for a church family. This week it was awesome to hear of people in our church having needs and seeing people respond and and we had a lot of families displaced in our church and as far as I know every one of them had needs met and our church family rallied and and it's awesome I'm thankful for our church family but one of the very best ways we can stay connected with one another in our church is is in our small group ministry and I would encourage you 
You'd say, but pastor, I'm doing good right now. I, I, don't, need any, I don't need to come back right now. And I'm going to say this, I, I, I'm not uh, clairvoyant, but you're going to have a need in your life at some point where a comeback is in order, and you're going to want to have that team around you. I think in the life of, of a Christian, particularly in, in a church family, there's great value in being connected that way. At home, you have a family. Be engaged. Be connected. Keep the lines of communication open. Love one another. Do everything you can to stay close because you're going to find there are forces in your life that are going to try and get in there, work their way in there and pry you apart. And I want you to know there's just, there's just few things in life that can rival the joy found in a family that is a tight-knit unit, a team. At work, you have co-workers. That's different, of course, than a church or a family, but opportunities there to establish team. And in your life with God, if you're a Christian, the Bible tells us you've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And He's working in you. And you're allowing the work to take place. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is a, is, is a person. The person of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's God in the third person. But the Bible tells us He can be grieved. And we want to make sure that in our life we're not doing anything to push away a teammate who's going to provide something that's essential to our success. We have teams in life. And how ironic it is that when we need to come back, sometimes we distance ourselves from the very ones that God sent to help the comeback to be a possibility and then to become a reality. I wonder today, what areas of life or what people do you need to come back to? 